All summer long, we have been in a study of the Proverbs. I hope that you have been joining us in that. At all of our campuses, we've been reading a proverb a day that coincides with the day of the month. So if it's the 20th of the month, we're reading the 20th chapter of Proverbs. It's not too late for you to join us in that. All of our campuses in Garland and and Forney, uh, Town East Campus, our our Hayes Campus there, our Real Life Campus in Austin, our Real Life Campus in Corpus Christi and there at Bowie High School. We've all been doing this together. And today we come to uh, a topic about something that has been a problem for as long as uh, mankind has been alive. But it seems like these days uh, there's an epidemic of something called entitlement. Uh, We see it in the headlines of Greece where there are people who, in that particular country, there are more people who want to take a piece of the pie than want to help bake the pie. And as a result, they're in a dilemma. We see it in our own uh, country where people want to uh, redistribute the wealth, but they don't want to redistribute the work. And that just doesn't work. That formula doesn't work. We see it in the home uh, where uh, we've got a generation that's coming up. And the the number one complaint of HR departments across our nation is that parents aren't teaching their kids how to work. You know, when a kid is sitting in front of a television set or a video game all day long, uh, overweight and eating his second bag of Doritos, that's called child abuse, okay? And it's not preparing that child for life. You send a kid off to college and he can't do his own laundry. He doesn't know how to separate the darks from the lights. He can't boil water and uh, has nothing in a savings account, has never held down a job and has never been asked to do something at home. We've got a problem in this nation. And, and long, long ago it was a problem. It's still a problem to this very day. It's called entitlement. And the scriptures deal with it. If you have a Bible with you, aren't you looking forward to this message? (laughs) That's just the positive part of it. In Proverbs, the 24th chapter, uh, Solomon writes, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Now, over and over again, Uh, Solomon in the book of wisdom, the book about how to have the skills to live life, talks about this problem of laziness. And he refers to this guy as the sluggard. It's not a word we use a lot, uh, so let's just call him sluggo, all right? Sluggo has a problem getting started in the morning. Uh, He's still on college time. He wakes up later and later every day, and his favorite mechanical device is the snooze button. Uh, He talks a good game. He talks about what he's going to do every day, but he never gets around to doing any of it. He's always talking about the ship that's coming in, the big deal, Uh, the one thing that he's going to do that's going to solve all of his financial problems. He avoids work, though, at all costs. In fact, Sluggo will spend more effort avoiding work than it would have taken if he had just gone to work. He has a spirit of entitlement. In a word, he is lazy. Now, what does Solomon say to any of us who are tempted to fall into that pattern of life? He says four things throughout the Proverbs, and we see it over and over again being repeated. First of all, he says, work hard. And he gives us the metaphor to look uh, at. He gives us the metaphor of the ant. If you look in Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verse six, it says this. It says, go to the ant, O sluggo, or sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. 
that gives us a very clear word picture, and that's the word picture of an ant. Have you looked at ants lately? Have you watched what they do? It seems like they're always moving. Have you ever seen an ant just sit still? It seems like they're going somewhere and they're trying to accomplish something. And if you put your foot down, the ant's going to do one of two things. One, he's going to bite your foot, saying, get out of my way, I've got some work to do. Or he's going to crawl over it. You throw a twig down, he'll go around the twig. Notice something about ants is ants never arrive late to work. They never leave early. And I don't know about you, I've never seen an ant playing solitaire on their computer. They, that's the example that he gives to us. They're not waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. You know, so he says in the past that they don't have an officer, they don't have a ruler. In other words, it doesn't matter who their boss is or the fact they don't have a boss. They see something to do and they do it. Now, when you read throughout Proverbs, you're going to find out that Solomon has a view about work and he sees work as a blessing, not a burden. Uh, something that provides for us, that gives security, that can give us a sense of accomplishment, that can connect us with others, that can bolster our self-esteem. I believe that a lot of people don't work hard because of the way they think. If you look back at that very first verse that we read, we talked about going by the field of man, quote, who lacks sense. In other words, what Solomon says to us is that the way that we look at work now, to be sure, there are two extremes when it comes to work. There is one extreme we want to avoid called workaholism, where work is the end all, where work is everything, uh, where we see work is the answer and work becomes our God. And, and we don't want to be on that extreme, but on the other end, it's a, a disease called, thank God it's Fridayism. And that's where we only tolerate work and we're trying to avoid it any way that we can. Somewhere in the middle, there's a biblical view of work. I pass by the field of a man who lacks sense. What we need is we need to understand that how we think about work determines what we do. And it's not just about what we do or we don't do. It's about how we think. We need to see work like God sees work. And if you look in the Bible, it's very clear what the Bible says about work. I love the Bible because it's so very practical talks about the stuff that we do every day. And, and we spend way too much time at work, in our life, for our lifetime, not to have God's view of work. So what does the Bible say? First of all, it says that God is a worker himself. You go to the very first verse of the very, uh, the very first part of the Bible, and you'll find it says, in the beginning, God created. And we find God working. And so God is a worker. And then we also see in the very next chapter of the Bible, in Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 15, it says that God has designed us to be co-workers. In Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, I think this is interesting. God created a perfect garden. There were, it was completely perfect before the fall of man. And yet, the Bible says that God put man in that garden to work. He created us to work. He created, even in a perfect place, a need for us to do something with the portion of land that God has given us. I think some have the order out of place. They think that work was a part of God's curse for man's sin, and it wasn't. God put us in the garden and gave us a job to do before the curse ever came. The curse was that whatever garden we're in would have thistles that there would be weeds. 
It doesn't matter where you work. There's no perfect place to work. There'll always be weeds in any effort. But the problem is not the work. It's the weeds that are getting in, in the way of us working. The Bible also tells us that the purpose of our work, that God has given us work, first of all, so that we can provide for ourselves. In 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, it says this. Paul is speaking, and he says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now that seems a bit harsh, but that's the exact opposite of entitlement. It's the exact opposite of enabling. It says if somebody has the ability to work, if someone has the opportunity to work, and they choose not to work, they need some painful motivation, which is you don't get to eat. Now friends, that's what the Bible says. And, and it doesn't say if, if you're not able to work. I know some of you are, are without jobs right now. And, and the last thing I want to do is heap another burden on you. It's not about not being willing, uh, not being able to work. It's about not being willing to work. But we've said this in the past. If you don't have a job, your full-time job is to find a job. That means you put in 40, 50 hours a week. And I know how you do that changes, that a lot of it's not face-to-face -face anymore. It's online. But the reality is, is that God has given you skills. He's given you intellect. He's given you ability. And you can make a living. You can provide for yourself. And many times as you're beginning to start that back up again, you've got to take a lesser paying job. But the important thing is that you do something. You keep moving. It's easier to find a job, by the way, from a job that doesn't pay enough than from no job as people are looking at the, war, uh, the, the workforce. But one of the reasons that God has given us work is he's given us work so we can provide for ourselves. He's also given us work so that we can provide for our family. In 1 Timothy, the fifth verse, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, strong language. If you have the ability to work, and you have the opportunity to work, and you choose not to work, you're not taking care of your family, and you're worse than an unbeliever. There are unbelievers who do better than that. It's a bad witness when you don't do that. By the way, if you're in a workplace where you're having to work with folks who are unbelievers and you get persecuted and it's tough to be a Christian there, the best witness that you can give is to work harder and better and smarter and more effective than everyone else. That's your best witness. Uh, that way you've earned the right to say you know, God has blessed me, or this is what I've learned, or here's what I recommend. And you lose that right. You disqualify yourself if you're not a good worker because there are lost people who work harder than some of the Christians. And that's just wrong. The Bible says that we're to provide for ourselves and we're to provide for our families. And when we don't, we are a kind of thief because a thief is one who takes something that doesn't belong to them. And, and we're, we're to provide for ourselves we're to provide for our family but we're also to provide for those who are less fortunate who cannot provide for themselves in Ephesians the fourth chapter verse 28 it says this it says he who steals must no longer steal but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need See, God not only wants us to work so hard we provide for ourselves, he wants us to take care of our extended family, and then he wants us to work in such a way that we're able to have extra so that we can help those who cannot help themselves. 
And the truth is that one of the reasons that our country is in such a mess when it comes to welfare today is because the Christian church has not done its job. If we would do our job, here's what would happen. We wouldn't need the bureaucracy. We wouldn't need the fraud. We wouldn't need the waste. We wouldn't have the enabling. Because in each and every community, people would take care of themselves. They would take care of their family. And those who can't take care of themselves, they would be taken care of by those who knew them, who had relationships with them, who would not enable the wrong people but lift up the right people and provide a way for everyone to have a place to work. Friends, we've got the mess and we're to blame for the mess because we've not done our job as the Christian community. And instead of complaining about what's happening or not happening in Washington, we need to begin to help those around us, no matter what the government is doing or not doing. And, and in, in a way, we take away the need for that whole mess that's there. Uh, God has given us uh, uh, an ability to provide for ourselves, to provide for our family, to provide for those who are less fortunate. That is God's plan. And when we begin to see work as a way to bless others, when we begin to see work as a way to witness to others about God's goodness, then it changes how we view work where we can look forward to going to work because we know that when we go, we're going because God has designed us and called us to that. And there's a lot of good that could be accomplished in that. So first thing Solomon says is that he says work hard. The second thing he says is he says plan well. In Proverbs 21.5, he says, the plans of the diligent leads surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about planning, and so we'd come to an advantage rather than doing things in a hasty way. You go back to the example of the ant. In verse 8, it says, she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. In other words, even an ant realizes, okay, this food's not going to be here forever and so I'm going to have to plan and I'm going to have to put back food so that when the food is not there then I can harvest it and so there's, there's, there's an intent the truth is is that most people are reactionary when it comes to caring for their field and caring for their resources and the Bible says that we're to plan and in Luke it talks about the fact that a man doesn't go out and start a tower unless he knows he can finish it and a man doesn't declare war unless he's done his plan. He knows he can win that war. And in the same way, we're not only to work hard, but when God begins to bless us with resources, we're to plan. Now, any biblical plan, we've talked about this before, so we won't spend a lot of time here, but any biblical plan is going to have four parts to it. It's going to have a giving part to it. It's going to have a paying part to it where we have to pay those obligations that we have that are there, we know they're there, they're not going away whether there be taxes or whether there be a house payment or whatever, those are just standards. And then there's going to be a savings portion of that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. So that when emergencies come, and they will come, not if, but when they come, we can respond so that we can save up money and purchase things rather than purchasing things and then trying to figure out how we're going to pay for them. And then finally, after we consider these three things, there's a fourth element, and that's our lifestyle. You know, where we live, what kind of car we drive, how often we go out to eat, what kind of clothes that we buy, and so forth. Now, the reality is if we plan well, this all comes out even. But if we don't plan well, if, we're, if he says, as in the Proverbs, it says we're living in a hasty way, a knee-jerk, in an emotional way, 
we see something, and so we buy it. And when there's a pain in our life, so we medicate it with shopping. And, and, and so this opportunity comes, and so we just go. We'll figure out how to pay it later. There's no plan to it. It's a hasty in the moment versus the plan. These three here determine number four. As a Christian, there's not an option for me on number one because the Bible says that when I give of the first fruits, it's confessing to God that I know that all good things come from him and I couldn't work if he didn't provide for me the ability to work, the intellect to work, the skill to work. That obligations are there, that's keeping promises. If I move into a house and I, I promise a mortgage company that I'm going to pay them so much money, that's about keeping your word, keeping a promise. There's no option on this one. And if I do something down here that doesn't allow me to do this, then I dishonor my God. And saving is just smart. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But these three determine this. Most of us, if we're living in a hasty way, if we're living in a way where we don't plan, we're just reacting to life. And then we look up here and we can't give, we can't pay, and we don't save. And we dishonor our God. And so he says in Proverbs over and over again, he says, the plan of the diligent leads to advantage. But the, the one who spends in a hasty way, that person dishonors God. It, it's as uh, Dave Ramsey says, you tell your money where to go or you're going to wonder where it went. And the reality is if you don't have a plan for your resources, the fields which God has given you, the portion that God has given you, somebody else has a plan for your resources. And their plan will trump your non-plan every time. And so in Proverbs, we find the injunction to work hard. We find the injunction to plan well. And we find a clear injunction to save faithfully. In Proverbs 21.20, Proverbs 21.20, it says... There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. In other words, everything I make, it's gone. But in the house of the wise, there is precious treasure and there is oil when it is needed. Savings is the preemptive antidote to debt. It is. If we... Uh, are anticipating uh, our kids going off to college, we save so that we can send them to college. If we know that our car, we've been driving it for a while, and one of these days we're going to need a new car, we start saving so that we can purchase it. And, and by saving, what happens is we stay out of debt. It, it's a wise thing not to borrow money for a depreciating asset. And that's, by the way, pretty much everything except for a house in most cases. And even in recently in history, we saw houses depreciate, but that was uh, uh, an exception of the rule, and that's begun to reverse right now. But it just doesn't really make sense. It's not a wise use of our money to spend the money and then to try to pay it off. Because what happens is we end up spending more money for the same things. Let me give you an example. If you have a credit card debt, of $5,000. Now, most of you don't. I understand that. Most of you have, if you're an average American, $14,000 in credit card debt. Where you're paying anywhere from 13 to 21% interest to, to, to use somebody else's money to purchase something you couldn't afford. Not a real smooth move. But let's just be conservative and say you only have a $5,000 credit card debt. And let's not take the upper end, let's take the lower end and say that you're only spending 14% interest. Do you realize that if you make the minimum payment 
on that 14% $5,000 debt that it will take you 22 years to pay off that debt. That means 21 years from now, you'll be paying for a meal you ate last year, all right? And it will cost you an additional $5,817. In other words, everything that you buy when you don't save and then buy, you borrow and then pay off, costs you twice as much. That's why the Bible says that the, the one who saves is wise. In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, Verse 7, it says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. <clears throat> now, to be sure, there's nowhere in the Bible that it says it's wrong or evil for you to borrow money. What it says is, to the extent that you borrow money, you will be a slave for the rest of your life. When we start talking about planning your expenses and planning uh, uh, how you manage your, your resources, people think that's restrictive. No, restrictive is when you've got so much debt that it causes stress in your marriage. For that's the number one argument in your home. Stress is when you have to take that extra job or where you have to work in a job that you don't enjoy because you are dependent upon that salary in order to pay off that which you've already spent. That's a lack of freedom. And the Bible says that to the extent that you borrow, to that extent you will be a slave to the lender. You say, well, Stephen, are you saying that we ought to pay cash for cars? I think the Bible says that that's wise to do because it's a depreciating asset. And it gets, it gets less and less every day. You say, well, Steve, that's, that's near impossible, is it? The average American spends $378 a month on a car payment. Now, what if instead of that car payment, what if you'd saved up and bought that car for cash and that $378 could be invested in a mutual fund. If you did that from age 25 to 65, at the end of age 65, you have $4 million sitting in cash in a bank account. I hope you enjoyed the car. You say, well, Steve, I just don't see how I can get there. Well, consider this fact. The average American eats out with his family four times a week. That's, that's a reality. That's what they tell us. Restaurant Association tells us that. They spend approximately about $50 per time that they go out to eat, which means in a year you'll spend $10,800 to go out to eat. What if you reduce that for just a few years to one time a week instead of four times a week? That means you would save $7,800 every single year. In three years, you'd be able to pay cash for a $23,400 car. And then you begin to save. And when you're able to save, you provide a kind of security and peace in your family. You'd be able to respond to emergencies. It doesn't mean you can't have stuff. It just means that you accumulate the money before you have the stuff instead of after you have the stuff. And by the way, save, uh, paying down debt is a, is a, is a, is a kind of savings uh, because it doesn't really make sense for you to be putting money in a CD at uh, 2% interest when you've got a credit card debt where you're paying 14%. If you took that $5,000 debt that we talked about before and instead of paying the minimum payment that they would ask for you, if you just added $125 a month, you realize that instead of it taking you 22 years to pay off, it would only take you six years to pay off. And some of us, for savings, that's what it means. Now, why is it so hard for us to save? Why is it so far for, hard for us to buy into deferred gratification? And the reason is, is because... We compare in Proverbs, the 13th chapter, in verse 7, it says this. There is one who pretends to be rich but has nothing, 
and another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. Look, look at that phrase, the one who pretends to be rich. The literal Hebrew word could be translated rock wall. <laughs> or Corpus Christi or Austin. We play the game, don't we? Where we pretend to own more than we own. And the problem, Bible says that contentment is a real wealth. To be content with what we have. But what happens is we start comparing ourselves with people who are pretending to have more than they do. We don't compare ourselves with the arguments they're having in their home or the stress and the ulcers that they have because of the debt that they have or the dishonesty in their life. We don't compare that. All we compared was with their nice shiny car or their nice house. And again, folks, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with going out to eat. It's about living within your means. But what we do is we compare and we become dissatisfied. Billions of dollars are spent in the United States every year to get us to be discontented. To think we have to have more to be happy. And we keep getting more. Are you any happier? Just got more stuff you got to store? We got so much stuff we got to go pay somebody money so we can take the stuff we can't put in our closet and our houses in a storage. Is that insane or what? How about comparing down? You realize that if you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top one-fourth of 1% of wealthy people in the world. Friends, we're blessed. We don't need more stuff. We need more contentment. If you own a car, just own a car, you're in the top 2% of wealthy people in the entire world. If you make $50,000 a year, do you realize that on average you make $26 an hour? Compare that to the man in Ghana. we got a team in Ghana right now who makes eight cents a day. And some of those people, because I've met them, are more fulfilled than we are, are happier than we are, has, have more peace. And we don't need more stuff. We don't need more money. And if we're going to compare ourselves, we need to compare ourselves, compare down instead of compare up because that contentment is a great gift and it will keep us from hurting ourselves. Now, what do we do if we're going to do what the Bible says and to save more? Well, first of all, we've got to stop borrowing. We've got to cut up those credit cards. The next thing we need to do is we need to lower our standard of living in such a way that we can then take the margin that we create by doing so and begin to apply it to the debt that we have. And apply it to the smallest debt that we have, not the one necessarily that has the biggest interest rate, but the smallest debt so we can have an early victory. And then take the money that we were spending on that smallest debt and, and roll it over where we, we, we pay on the next smallest debt. And when that is finished, we take the combination of the two payments and we roll it down to the third. In no time at all, you'll be debt free. And then you can begin to get on the solution side and to save so that you have the money before you spend the money. I know that's counterintuitive in our country. But, but see, the truth is, we're not like our government. We actually have to pay our debts off, okay? We, we can't print more money. They're not to be our model at that point. Now, for a lot of you, this is a lot of numbers flying around, and you say, well, it kind of makes sense, but I'm not sure I can do it. Yes, you can. You're sharp enough to do that. Here's what we want to do to help you. There's a book uh, it was written by Dave Ramsey that a lot of you are familiar with called The Total Money Makeover, and we'd like to give you this book at all of our campuses today. If you are in trouble because you haven't either worked hard, planned well, or saved faithfully, we'd like to give this book to you to help you to be a guide. And so following the service today, just go to 
uh, the Connection Center at whatever campus that you're on and walk in and we've got a free copy for you, but you've got to do a couple of things. Number one is when you walk in before you get the book, you've got to confess your sin, all right? And so you just say, I have been a financial fool. You've got to say that. Begins with defining reality. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to take this thing and you've got to read every single word of it. And there are charts in the back. You've got to fill out the charts. And you've got to promise to work this program for 120 days to see if God's way is a better way. Don't go in there to get this for your son. Don't go in there to get it for your next door neighbor. If you've been a financial fool, we'll give you a copy as, as, as long as the supplies last. You say, well, Steve, what if the supplies don't last? What if I'm at the end of the line and I don't get a free copy? Buy yourself one. All right? Skip going out to eat one half time and buy yourself the book. All right? And then the last thing that Proverbs says to us, to the, to the sluggard rather, he says to us that we're not only to work hard, plan well, save faithfully, but we're to give happily. In Proverbs the 11th chapter, verse 24, there's a counterintuitive verse. Here's what it says. This is wisdom. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due and yet results only in want. Don't miss this. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. It's counterintuitive, but it says that you're going to have more if you do it God's way. Uh, several things about this. One is when you plan well and you get intention about your resources, you're paying attention to where it goes, and all of a sudden you're not reacting reacting all the time and it creates a margin the other thing is just God's uh, miraculous blessing uh, also in Proverbs the third the third chapter verse 9 it says this it says honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine and we talked about this verse recently we talked about the fact that this is not a promise that if you're generous to giving to the causes that God cares about, that you're going to be made rich. What it says is your barn's going to be full. One of the ways that your barn gets full is you stop building bigger barns every three years. All right? And it says your vats are going to overflow. And that's really what it wants. We don't want to just create bigger vats. We want our vats to overflow. We want to work hard. We want to plan well. We want to save faithfully. And we want to give happily. That's the purpose of all of it, so that we can prosper to bless others. The, the last scripture I want to share with you is a scripture that's also listed there in your worship guide. It comes from Proverbs 37 and 9. I think it caps it all off. It says, two things I ask of you and do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I may not be full and deny you and say, well, who's the Lord? Or that I not be in want and be tempted to steal and profane the name of my God. The goal is not to be wealthy. It's just not. The goal is not to be poor. Oh, what a great Christian I am. I give everything away. It's about having your needs met. But managing your portion of the field in such a way that it is productive and it prospers so that we can bless others. And in the blessing of others, we can honor our God. That's what it's all about. That's what it means to live wise. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for 
wisdom today. And thank you for those who are here today that uh, you've spoken to in a very clear and appointed way. I pray to your Father that when they hear this message five years from now or six years from now, they're not going to be at the same place anymore. They're going to have been obedient to you, and as a result, they're going to be able to testify. It works. God's way works. And I thank you for that testimony and that witness that they're going to be to their own family, to their neighbors, to their community, uh, to all that come in contact with the poor that they're going to be able to assist. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.